You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the privilege we have to be in church. And uh, my heart has been so blessed with the early service, the Sunday school time, uh, the baptisms, the choir, the special, the congregational singing. And Lord, now as we approach the preaching of your word, I pray that we would not miss what you have for us today. I pray that you would equip us, and I pray that you would enable us, and I pray that you would use us, Lord, in a great and mighty way to leave this place today and to go out and to stand strong with the armor of God that you have provided for us. We love you so much. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as their personal Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. And for those who are saved, I pray that you would speak to them and encourage them, challenge them today. Uh, from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Ephesians 6, we began a couple weeks ago and we uh, saw the idea of being strong in the Lord. And uh, our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in the Lord. Then last week, we looked at the wiles of the devil. That old devil, he is sneaky. Uh, He is a trickster. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. And you've been warned, and I've been warned. we got to put on the armor if we're going to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This morning, I'd like to draw your attention to a word found in this passage several times. It's the word stand. And I'd like to preach this morning on the subject of standing with the armor of God. Notice with me, if you would, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice verse number 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And there in verse 14, it says, Stand, therefore, and it goes on to describe the pieces of the armor. I want to tell you that we need some Christians that will stand. We need some Christians that will stand for what is right and stand for the Word of God and stand for the truth and stand for holiness and stand for righteousness and stand for uh, the the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and realize that we are in a battle and we must be ready. Ephesians 6 verse 1, the Bible talks about what is right. It says for children to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can I tell you, our children are not going to be ready to stand unless parents teach them what is right. 
unless a mom or a dad or both or a grandmother or a grandfather or somebody can say to our children, hey, this is right and this is what you need to do. Now our society says, let them decide. Uh, don't pressure your children. Uh, uh, don't, don't push your children. Uh, boy, if you put too much pressure on your children, uh, then they're going to grow up and be resentful and all that. Well, I got a question for you. If we don't teach our children what is right, who's going to? They're not getting it from the internet. They're not getting it from Hollywood. They're not getting it from pop culture. They're getting the opposite. And so praise God for a, a, a parent that will say this is right. And children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's still in the book. And we need some young people that will obey. We need some young people that will follow in the teaching of their parents what is right. Notice what is rewarding. It says in verses 2 and 3 that if we honor our father and mother, it says that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long upon the earth. Aren't you thankful that when God gives a command, of course we're supposed to obey, but God also promises a blessing for obedience. God promises a reward. Now God doesn't have to give us anything. He doesn't have to bless us. He's God. If he says, do this, we should do this. But God says, do this, and if you do this, I'll bless you for it. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, I'm thankful for a God who shows us what is right, but then a God who rewards us for doing what is right. And then we see in verses 5 through 9, we see what is real. It talks about servants uh, obeying them and being obedient to your masters. And it says this, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now think about this. Did you know, even if you don't like your boss at work, did you know you still ought to do a good job because you're not working for the boss? You're working for the Lord. And God sees. You say, well, I, I would give my best, but nobody even notices anyway. Well, 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 it says we're not supposed to do it with eye service. We're not just doing it to impress people. We're doing it because God's watching. And we want to please him. It says, with goodwill, uh, doing uh, service as to the Lord and not unto men. Be real for those you work for. And then it says in verse number nine, those that work for you. Ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. We've got some in this auditorium who you are the employee and you work for a boss. We've got some in this auditorium, you are the boss and you've got the employees. And can I tell you, if you're the boss, you ought to treat every one of those people working for you like you would want to be treated and like God would have you to treat them. God's no respecter of persons. Be real, be a real Christian. And then verses 10 through 18, it talks about being ready. Can I tell you, we've gotta be ready. We must be ready. You say, how are we gonna be ready? Right here, we've gotta have on the armor of God. The apostle Paul was not just searching for something to write about. He didn't just read this article in Reader's Digest and say, you know, that's a, good, that's a good thing. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul said, put on 
the whole armor of God. Let's talk about this word standing. We've got some Christians that are not standing today. We've got some Christians that are sitting down. You say, well, what's wrong with sitting down? Nothing every once in a while, but when you're in a battle, you don't want to be sitting down. When the enemy's coming at you, you don't want to be seated. You want to be standing and to be ready. We've got some Christians today that are sleeping. Now, can I tell you, there's a time to sleep, but battle is not the time to sleep. Battle is the time to be vigilant. Battle is the time to be alert. Battle is the time to be on guard and to be ready for the battle. We've got some Christians, and by the way, I think it's good to walk. I think you ought to walk with the Lord. I think you ought to run the race for Christ. I think it's good to, to be busy and doing stuff, but now is the time when the battle comes to stand your ground. Now is the time to stand and to, to stand firm and to stand strong for the things of God. Uh, I know some people, and maybe you know some people like this, but I know some people that just can't stand still. And I think, I think it, sometimes I can be like that. I'm not usually like that. But sometimes you find yourself pacing. Do you know, anybody know anybody like that? You always got to be moving. You always got to be doing something. And, and you're always, and by the way, I, 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 that's probably better than sleeping, right? It's probably better than sitting doing nothing. But then there comes a time where you've got to get in position and you have got to stand because the battle's coming at you and the enemy is on the attack. How do we stand? I'll give you a few thoughts and we'll try to go quickly, but I want to give you number one. There will be times when you stand for Christ that you may have to stand alone. You see, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, but I want you to look at another letter that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, and we know this chapter, it says in verse number uh, 6, he said, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Well, I love those verses. Those verses get me fired up. But you know where Paul was writing that? He was writing that from jail. He was in Rome. You say, well, how did Paul get to Rome? He had requested, he said, I want to stand before Caesar. I want to witness to Caesar. I want to stand and tell him what Jesus did in my life. You say, well, that sounds exciting to go see the president. That sounds exciting to go see the governor. That sounds exciting to go see some important person. Yeah, but this was not an exciting event for Paul because he was going to see Nero. If you've studied your history at all, you know that Nero was a nut. He was insane. I believe that Nero, if he was not demon-possessed, I believe he was demon-oppressed, uh, 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 Nero was so vicious that Nero had killed many of his own family members just to keep everybody else away from taking the throne. There came a time in Nero's rule that there was talk of a, of a revolt. Nero immediately, he, he took every piece of information he had gathered and he began executing his senators. 
He began executing his rulers. He began executing anybody without any evidence at all. Just if there was suspicion. That's the kind of man Nero was. You say, well, what did Nero think about Christians? Well, at this time of the writing of these letters, a portion of the city of Rome had burned to the ground. Many historians believe that Nero himself was responsible for setting that portion of the city on fire. It was a, a part of the city that was built of wood. It was kind of an older, more of a rundown type uh, portion in Rome. And many believe that because Nero did not like the architecture, he did not like the looks, he did not like the fact that that was kind of a, 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 a bad place, bad part of town, that he burned it on purpose. Well, after burning it, he immediately said, we need somebody to blame for this burning. And Nero said, we're going to blame the Christians. We're going to blame those followers of Christ. And Nero had Christians hunted down and persecuted and tortured and executed. For You say, for what? Because he said they burned down a city that they didn't even burn down. Nero would take Christians. While they were alive, he would bind them and tie them to stakes in his garden outside of the palace. And he would burn them alive. He would burn them and he would enjoy every minute of it. He was so demented. He was so demonic. That was the kind of man that Nero was. And so Paul is in jail. He's getting ready to go and stand before Nero. And notice what it says in verse 9. He says to Timothy, do thy diligence to come unto me. Now that just sounds like a simple verse. Like, hey, come visit me. You know, I might talk to my brother, uh, Joel. He's come, he's in Iowa. He and his family are coming for Thanksgiving. And they'll be here and say, hey, Joel, come visit me. Well, that sounds good, right? Come to see mom and uh, see my, you know, sisters and see the, the, the nieces and nephews. That may sound good. This was not that kind of a visit. Paul knew when he told Timothy to come to Rome that he was going to be hunted. His life would be in danger. But he said, Timothy, I want you to come. I need you here. Notice verse number 10, he said, because Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas had forsook Paul, and the reason was Demas wanted what the world had to offer. And Demas said, I can't handle the persecution. I can't handle the pressure. And so Demas had left. Then we see that uh, Crescens had gone to Galatia, and Titus had gone to Dalmatia. He said in verse 11, only Luke is with me. There's only one person now with Paul, and that is Luke. Well, who was Luke? Luke was a doctor. Luke was the man who penned the gospel of Luke. Luke was the man who penned the book of Acts. And Luke was a medical doctor. Do you think it was any coincidence that God had a medical doctor with the apostle Paul? Now, some of us need a medical doctor because we're accident-prone, maybe, right? You need your own personal doctor to walk alongside of you. But Paul wasn't accident-prone. He was persecution-prone. Every time Paul turned around, he was getting beat up. Every time he turned around, he was getting stoned. He was uh, getting chased out of the city. He had to go out of a city uh, over the wall in a basket. Can you imagine looking up and just saying, Hey, guys, please don't let go of that rope. Guys, please don't. Please don't you know, get distracted and forget about me. Can you make sure I get to the ground before you let go of the rope? 
The Apostle Paul had a doctor, Luke, that was with him, and Luke did much of his writing. But we see also in verse number 11, he said, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for the ministry. That's a whole nother message there, and what a powerful truth that is about John Mark, who at one time, Paul said, uh, I don't have time for him. He, he's already quit, but John Mark got back in the ministry, and God used Mark to write the gospel of Mark, somebody who God gave a second chance to. Aren't you glad for the God of second chances? Aren't you glad that when we fall, God is there to help us up and to pick us up and to keep us going? But then he says, uh, Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus and the cloak that I have left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Paul said, I, I, need, my, I need my cloak, it's getting cold. This jail is, is damp and it's dark and it's cold. And he said, I need that cloak, if you can bring that. He said, I need my books, I need the parchment, I need the scriptures. Verse 14, he says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom... Be thou aware also, he said, Timothy, as you're coming to Rome, you better watch out for this guy. This guy's a mean dude. This guy is evil. This guy is wicked. This guy is on the attack. He's, he, he's after us. He said, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And then verse number 16, the apostle Paul, who told us to stand. He said to stand for Christ and to stand for God and to do all you can to stand. He says in verse 16, at my first answer. So what was his first answer? It was the first time that he was going to stand before Nero. Here he's standing before this wicked ruler and he's going to give his testimony. He's going to share the gospel knowing that Nero could take off his head, knowing that Nero could torture him and kill him. And Paul said, I'm in the courtroom and I'm standing before Nero. And he said, I was all by myself. He said, I didn't have a defense attorney. I didn't have any witnesses there. I didn't have any support. I didn't have any family. I had everybody against me. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. You know what Paul said? I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to try to stand for God when nobody else is there. He said, I've been there. And I've done that. But notice verse number 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. It's almost like Paul catches himself. Have you, have you ever done that? You're talking and you're sharing something. And then all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit hits you and says, wait a second, you forgot something. Or wait a second, you forgot about somebody. And Paul said, actually, scratch that. He said, I wasn't standing by myself. Yeah, everybody else forsook me, but there was one person who never left me. There was one person who stood by my side every step of the way. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, that's not talking about a physical lion, although uh, some people dealt with some physical lions like David and like Daniel. But Paul's talking here probably about Nero. If not Nero, he's talking about Satan himself. But he said, I felt like I was all alone, but God was right there. And not only was God there, but he delivered me. 
He strengthened me. He rescued me. In verse 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm thankful for the church. And by the way, we need the church more now than we've ever needed the church. I think if you miss church, I think you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity to be encouraged and to be strengthened and to be blessed and to be helped and, and to be accountable and, to, and, and to, to have that that shot in the arm to keep going. I, I think we need the church. Don't misunderstand me. But there's coming a day, if you're going to stand for God, there's coming a day when you will feel like you're standing alone. It might be at the workplace. I think for many of our young people in here, it may be at school. And I'm talking about Christian school. I'm talking about public school. Doesn't matter where you go to school. There's going to be a time when you're going to have to take a stand for what is right and take a stand for Christ. And you may be the only one standing. But can I tell you, you still got to stand. Anybody can stand with a group. Anybody can stand when it's popular. Anybody can stand in a church service and say, hallelujah, let's go get them. But can I tell you, it's a whole different story when you're out in this world and it feels like you've got the whole world against you. Remember the story of Elijah? Elijah was going to Mount Carmel and he was going to take on the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove and Elijah was only one and he got there and he found out he was outnumbered. There were 850 false prophets. Now, can I tell you, I think one on two is a little intimidating. One on three or four, that's scary. But can you imagine one person and 850 people against you? But you know what Elijah found out that day? He found out he wasn't on that mountain alone because he began to pray. And when he began to pray, he found out that God was there just sitting on ready. And God threw the fireballs down from heaven. And God allowed that sacrifice and that altar and that water to be consumed by fire. And God showed up in an answer to prayer. Can I tell you, when you feel like you're all alone, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to call out to God. We must stand. It may be standing alone. I think about Esther. Esther in the medial Persian Empire. Esther, she, she probably felt like she was all alone and she had to go to stand before the king. And She told Mordecai, she said, hey, if, I, if I go in and he doesn't extend his royal scepter, said, I'll be dead. But then she said this, she said, but if I perish, I perish. She said, I'm gonna stand even if I have to stand alone. How about Daniel? Daniel was a man who was one of three presidents in the medial Persian Empire under Darius. And Daniel was one of three presidents, and there were 120 princes under those three presidents. So Daniel, against 122 political leaders. Wow, that's outnumbered. And they tricked the king, and the king signed a decree that nobody could pray to any god except for the king for 30 days. And Daniel said, well, you can write the laws all you want to. He said, but I'm not going to follow those laws. I'm going to follow God's laws. 
Daniel went into his chamber and he had his windows open. He said, as a matter of fact, not only am I going to pray, I'm not ashamed of it. He said, I'm going to open my windows and I'm going to pray to God every day, just like I did before. And Daniel was taken. And the king said, Daniel, I'm sorry, I got tricked, but I can't change this law. And they took Daniel and they threw him into a lion's den all by himself. Actually, I don't think he was by himself. You know why? Because God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of those lions that they did not hurt Daniel. Lester Roloff said it like this. He said, God gave those lions a serious case of lockjaw. And he said, and those lions, they couldn't eat Daniel because he was 100% backbone. And Daniel knew what it was to stand alone. But he found out even when he thought he was alone, oh, he wasn't alone because there was a God right there with him who had never left him and had never forsaken him. And friend, I want to tell you, when you stand for God, you're not standing alone. It may seem like you're alone. You may feel like you're alone, but God has promised he will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen and amen. How about Stephen? Stephen, who was being martyred. Stephen, who was being stoned by the mob. And as Stephen was being stoned, the Bible says he looked up into heaven. He had been standing for God and preaching the truth. And as he was dying, he looked up into heaven. And he saw in heaven, the heavens opened. And there was the throne of God. And on the right hand of the throne, he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand. And I tell you, when you stand for God, he stands for you. When you stand for God, he stands not only for you, he stands with you, he stands by you, and he'll never leave you. Paul said it like this, verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I want to say, we better be ready to stand. And we might have to stand alone. Number two, we must stand with authority. Our authority is this book right here. Our authority is not our own experience. Our authority is not our own ideas, but our authority is none other than the Word of God. Number three, we must stand with ability. You say, well, how do we stand? We stand not in our own strength, but we stand in the power of Almighty God. That ye may be able, Ephesians 6 says, that ye may be able to stand. We must have the ability, the power of God and the power of his word. The world record is, and I don't recommend you try to break this, but the world record is standing, physically standing for 11 days without ever sitting down. Now, first of all, if you have that kind of time on your hands, I've got plenty that I can give you to do if you're that bored and you need something to do, okay? But you know, you can't stand spiritually for 11 days on your own. You can't stand spiritually for five days on your own. You can't stand one day on your own. You must stand in the power and the ability of God. Number four, we must stand against the adversary. We must stand in opposition of the old devil. We must stand against the world and the flesh and the devil. And then number five, we must stand with all. It says having done all to stand. You know what that means? It means that you give it all you got. 
It means that when we stand before the Lord someday, we're able to say, Lord, I may not have been the best. I may not have been the smartest. I may not have been the strongest. But God, I gave you my all. I gave my all as a Christian. I gave my all as a husband or a wife. I gave my all as a grandparent. I gave my all as a servant of God. I gave my all as a teenager. I gave my all to Christ. And then lastly, we stand with the armor of God. The Bible says in verse number 14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Take the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You can't stand effectively without putting on the armor of God. You wouldn't go into battle and say, okay, I'm ready to fight. Where are they? And then somebody looks at you and says, where's your gear? Where's your armor? And you say, well, I don't need any armor. If God says you need armor, you need armor. And if God says I need armor, then we better put it on and we better be ready. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and may we stand for you. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that feels all alone. Maybe they feel like they've been forsaken. Maybe they feel like that they're going through a time and they feel like there's nobody there. Lord, I thank you that you have never left us. You never will leave us. You'll never forsake us. I thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul, who even as he stood before the most powerful man in the world, he stood before a ruler who was wicked and violent and evil. And Paul said, I was standing there with no man, but the Lord stood with me, and the Lord strengthened me. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.